Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. As always, Mr. John Small. How are you? Hey, man. Thank you. (laughs) We have a guest today, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have a guest. Uh, Super excited to have Jesse Krieger join us. Jesse's a friend now, and also he is the publisher of the next New York Times bestseller. It's called Making Cannabis Personal. Oh, nice. I I have a personal relationship with it. It's my book, so I'm just giving a a plug, but that's not the reason why Jesse's on, because I think he should get such an interesting story that fits what we talk about, and there is a lot of correlation, but it so happens to be an amazing publisher and an entrepreneur, and I think he, and he'll tell you, or the audience as well, about his own New York Times bestseller that he had and the, the ability to be able to learn through his own actions and be able to put that into a book and then help other people through that. I think it's pretty impressive. So welcome, Jesse. Thank you for being on. Well, thanks, Lynn. I really appreciate that. And thanks, John. I'm glad to be here. Excited for this conversation. Yeah, yeah we'll, me we'll, too. We'll Tell our audience a little bit about, I mean, I gave an intro, but uh, you have such a diverse, vast background with a, a musical note that kind of is a thread all the way through. So that's kind of us that's too. a good launching off point, isn't it? Yeah. Then? Like for me, I got a Fender Stratocaster and discovered Jimi Hendrix when I was 13 Woo. and it was like game over. <laughs> right. um, and for the next 10 years, music was truly the reason I was alive. It was my purpose. I was so excited to be playing music and learning guitar and music, the expense of everything else, right? So started to play in bands, didn't do so great in high school, not for a lack of aptitude, but just because I didn't really care. And, you know, ultimately took that quite a ways. Um, Went to Los Angeles Music Academy straight out of high school. So moved to Pasadena, was doing 10, 12 hours a day of learning music theory, harmony, paying the clubs on sunset to let us go play. Right. That was how it really started. It was paying the cat club to go perform at their spot on sunset. Right. Which I, I'll come back to in a moment. Cause do you split ticket sales on that when you do that? Like, yeah, exactly. You, to you have to get a certain amount. You have of to get like your friends. Hey guys, come in and you split ticket sales. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, the unglamorous side of the music industry <laughs> where you pay to play like right. literally, but what happened there? I was at LA music Academy. of the student body was international. So I started to meet these people from Germany, Japan, India, all over. I was like, wow, there's a whole world out there. And it got me really interested to go travel and explore. So a few of my friends from growing up invited me on a Euro trip. And so there I was 19, music, 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 brought a backpack and guitar and was traveling Europe with my buds. Um, There's a bunch of cool stories there, but the one that I think counts is I met another American guy named Scott um, from Florida who had been playing on the streets and playing solo in bars and clubs for the last six, seven months. And I met him performing in a park, no less, in Vienna, Austria. And we just struck up a conversation. And I was like, you know, those moments where it's like, oh, so that's possible. I was like, 
oh, so that's possible. You've been traveling all over Europe, living fancy free, playing music, and that's it. <laughs> so that planted a seed. The night before we were supposed to fly home, we were at a Nice, France, celebrating all of our travels and so forth, stumble out at like two in the morning. One thing led to another and a bunch of French guys jumped me and my friends. The worst fight I've been in, got my butt kicked, fortunately survived, no serious injuries. But I remember thinking on the walk home, I was like, there's no way this is the end of the story. Like, <laughs> I'm going to what fly home, like bloodied and bruised and what move in with my parents and like decide whatever. And then I saw the alternative was skip my ticket home, go meet up with Scott and basically just be a street musician and figure it out that way. So guess which one I chose? <laughs> you went home. Yeah, big still living with podcast. your parents. Yeah, still living with your parents. Yeah. They're upstairs. And here we are, thirty years later. Right, now. Dad, I'm in the basement right now. Yeah. Yeah, me, All right, street music. I love it. Be quiet. So you're a street musician in Europe. Yeah. So I skipped out of my ticket home. My friends couldn't believe what they were seeing. They got on the train, went away, and I remember standing on this platform like the future is wide open. I went to Vienna, moved in with Scott. We started performing as a duo. Uh, we'd play on the streets and in bars and clubs and do you're we living in a youth hostel. Basically. Original uh, music or do you play uh, this at this point? Covers? This was like, this was covers right. um, with a little bit of, of our own music, but this story could become incredibly long winded. So let me kind of tie it together here. <laughs> so I spent the next year traveling around Europe, playing guitar, doing the thing, totally took a hard left on this traditional life path thing that I never actually got on. But through that experience, we met someone who was at the School of Audio Engineering. So he'd bring me and Scott in and we'd do the midnight to 6 a.m. shift, free recording in School of Audio Engineering Vienna. And I was like, oh, the other side of the glass is interesting. Planned another seed. Eventually, after a year of travels and all that fun stuff, I was like, all right, I want to do something for real. So moved to Nashville, went to School of Audio Engineering. And that's where I met my bandmate and my first business partner, Jake Harsh who was also in an audio engineering program. So we moved in on Music Row. We started writing our own music and performing. We started producing other artists and just doing like music like never before. And out of that was born my band, Harsh Krieger. Jake mm -hmm. Harsh, Jesse Krieger. We thought it was like a Led Zeppelin kind of thing. Harsh Krieger. Sounded cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we only played original. We never played a cover that's a through line that carries through to even my publishing work, but just creative expression for its own sake, finding that most beautiful melody and rhythm and harmony and arguing over it and doing it. And so there was so many like creative battles in that point of my life. It was emotionally a lot, but at the same time, I was like, we are actually doing it. And piece by piece, we started to get enough attention where we could have either signed a record deal or like pursued that pathway. Or I saw the alternative was if we just started our own record label and learned enough about business to manage our career, that that was starting to look more appealing. So I volunteered, I ran the idea by Jake. I foolishly said, hey, I'll do everything on the business side if you just agree to this. And he did eventually agree to it and he held me to that. <laughs> started our, our record label, Tabula Rasa Records, Latin for blank slate and brought some like family friends. My dad introduced me to a few of his clients that were entrepreneurial and formed some, sort of a brain trust to advise me on how to kind of effectively run a record label and raise some money and, and do that whole thing. So from age 21 to 23 is when it really played out. We raised about 115,000 over six months of begging, borrowing, whatever to whoever would listen had enough money to executive produce our record, hired a team, people 10 years or more older than myself working for us, and ultimately got a distribution deal through Sony's red imprint label, their relativity entertainment distribution mm -hmm. back then. So the net effect was we had our record distributed nationwide through an imprint of Sony, had our music on 300 stations, nine songs on MTV, not music videos, but synced with real world road rules shows mm -hmm. like that and came back to la performed at the viper room across the street from cat club where we used to pay to play at a showcase with people from the industry and 
all that hoopla. And that was like a coming full circle of this first real era of my life of young idealistic rock musician becomes record label owner, lead guitarist, co-writer, and makes good. So there's a movie, you say Eurotrip, right? So there's a movie called Eurotrip, and the lead, the guy's name is Scotty. And you, your friend was Scott, and they sing this song that Scotty didn't know because his girlfriend was cheating on him, Scotty. I don't know if anybody saw that movie. It's got a really, really Euro funny Eurotrip? I love that movie. Wrote, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no, it's Euro Eurotrip. Euro oh, trip. Eurotrip. Euro. Yeah. Like, you like, were saying you were in a Eurotrip with a yeah. guy named Scotty, and then there's a really funny moment in this. I know it's like one of my squirrel moments, so I digress for a second. Like, Fred Armisen plays this, uh, this guy who's a, an Italian tourist, so these kids on the train they're on this euro trip through different countries and he gets in their cabin in the, in the train cabin and he sits between the two guys and every single time there's a tunnel he gets closer to them or he puts his like arm around him or puts his leg on him and they're like oh and the light comes on and he's like oh scusa scusa yeah me scusa uh, me scusa me scusa so sorry i they exist. They're real people like that. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a whole episode on funny Euro trip stories. Yes. That, sure. that is me being 17. So, so yeah, for music, how did you get into publishing and then publishing your, your own uh, book? Well, here's that leap. So like the whole takeaway from the music aspect of my life was it was in the middle of our second U.S. tour in 2005. And by many outward appearances, like we were doing it. I had a moment where I was like, wow, 16-year-old me's giving me a round of applause right now, kind of. Even though we're in a van reading at Denny's. But I was a rock musician on tour listening to our song on the radio. And in that moment, I was like, there's no way I can see myself doing this when I'm 40. And that was when I look back through my life, there's milestones or there was a few major moments mm. that only became more significant later on. But that was one of them of thinking, well, if I don't do the only thing I ever wanted to do, what the hell else would I actually do? And I started to actually think about, well, what would I do if I wasn't doing that, if I wasn't in music forever? And eventually, at the end of that album cycle and everything, when we were sitting down, it just became so clear with my bandmate and I that it was time to wind things down like responsibly and, and for me to go my own way. And everybody else from that period of time is still in the music industry. It's kind of wild. Mm -hmm. And that kind of speaks to an interesting part of my life journey, which is I've become so embedded and so involved in different spaces and music for sure. And there's been others but then I change or I allow myself to change right. and have had in that sense, like a number of lifetime experiences mm -hmm. in this, in this one life. So fast forward, I got out of music. I started consulting with other people in the music business that turned into consulting for other companies, moved back to the Bay area, actually did move back in with my parents for a little bit in my late twenties. Mm -hmm. um, and then started to, see that a common thread with most businesses is at some point they need money, capital to grow. So started getting interested in finance and wound up talking my way into becoming vice president of investment banking <laughs> at a boutique securities firm, still with no college degree. But what I saw is that if I could put deals together or bring together companies that needed investors and investors looking for opportunities, nobody cared if I went to school or not. And that was another thread that eventually led to me writing a book of my own, Lifestyle Entrepreneur. Live your dreams, ignite your passions, and run your business from anywhere in the world. Which, quite frankly, through my 20s was what I was doing in one way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Figuring out how to travel, do enough with business to underwrite that, and have fun experiences, and live the dream. That turned into a writing process where... I kind of got tired of answering the question of like, no, what are you doing? Like, what do you really do? Or how do you think about that? Or why are you on like your third company in an unrelated industry? It seems so natural to me. 
Like I always have felt like I've followed that inner voice and that inner prompting. And yet I decided to try and answer that definitively. And that was what started the writing process. At that time I had a business operating in Asia and was studying Chinese and had been living over there on and off for a number of years and met who became my first publisher. I actually didn't publish my own book. Mm-hmm. Um, the first publisher I had was Kanyan Publications out of Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. We did a print-only release, 2012, because I was the tall white guy that could speak Chinese who was willing to come over and promote the book. So they got behind it. And next thing you know, I'm speaking at book fairs. I'm signing books, shaking hands, kissing babies, I like to say, but kind of talked my way into becoming the number two business bestseller in Southeast Asia with that version of Lifestyle Entrepreneur. That was another moment where I was like, do I really want to build my career in Asia or do I want to like in America? And that was sort of the coming home was I found my second publisher, Morgan James published my book in the US and the rest of the world. But in that whole process of updating it and releasing it here in 2014, I thought it was going to be like in Asia where I'd show up and there's a 30 foot tall hanging of me outside of a book fair. And it wasn't like that at all. It was like crickets. But then I was like, okay, do I figure out book marketing and really understand what makes this work or just kind of claim victory and move on and do something else? And it was that confluence that leads us up to the present. After my book came out here and I, and at first it didn't do great, but then I relaunched it and it became a bestseller in the US as well. And in that process, my friends that were working on books started to ask my advice One conversation after another ended with, can you just do it for me? And then I decided to say yes. And six years later, done for you publishing is the primary and only way that we work with authors in an all-inclusive publishing support format that can start with just an idea or with a manuscript, but leads all the way to a published book that's distributed, available everywhere books are sold and really positioning that book as like your best business development tool. The way, the book, mm. the book, where if somebody reads it, they get to know the real you and, and learn something, of course. But in that fashion, reach out to you ready to go. Um, and that's something I'd love to talk about maybe on yeah, sometime yeah. on this interview, the value of a book and what it can do. But that's a little bit of my background and how I arrived here where well, I am and my mother. I'm super grateful because you made all those pivots and you made those mistakes and you had those learning experiences. So I get to benefit from that uh, because you know your company being a publisher of my book, I get guidance on what to do because this is a, a whole new chapter for me that I, I'm not really used to. So having that experience and dealing with other authors over the years and understanding you know how to navigate that has been really helpful for me too. So I, I'm grateful for that. Sure. In my view, we're just getting started. Like I'm yeah. so, I'm so excited for your book for making cannabis personal and you've got some amazing stories too. I know you share some of them through this podcast, but uh, everyone all, for a treat. On this book drops. Yeah. You got, book. yeah. Otherwise you know, he's going to get the book. I know. I know. It's, it's <laughs> little teasers. Everybody just, whatever you hear. Well, what was, can I ask what the process was? And, and thank you really for sharing all that. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Your, your Genesis and, evolution. I'm curious what the process was with Len. Like, how did you guys go from Len having an idea for a book to actually getting a book created? Well, I can speak to that or you can, Len, but Len had written the book by the time we connected and we met through a a mutual friend who I consider the person that introduced us. He's in my like top five of favorite people in the world, the most adventurous, just incredible guy. Mm -hmm. And so an introduction from someone like that, I'll pay a little extra attention to. And in fact, Len's the first and only author he's ever recommended I speak to. So that was how we connected. I'm sure, Len, you could speak to more. Yeah, I mean, that's it. What what brought you to writing the book to the point where we met? But People always tell me, you have great stories. You should write them down. I'm not a writer. So for me, I need to to find a process that will work for me. And what worked for me was recording myself. So I, I think I talked in the pod before, about this unique memory that I have where I can play like little movies and clips. So I can get pretty detailed in describing an event that may have happened. And, but they're not linear. They're all over the place. 
So like that's my, so there was something that happened in 1993 and there was something that happened in 2018. So I would just record myself. And then uh, I was lucky enough that I met Brian Kaufman, who's my co-author. And what he did for the last two years we worked together, he would kind of transcribe what I would record and then kind of put his own spin on it. And then we would meet twice a week and we review those chapters and go over and, and make those edits. The first go around, I sent it to a couple of people and I got some interesting feedback and I reread it. I'm like, man, this is not my voice. So what he was doing, he was taking my recording and putting into a structure that was, he's a PhD in English literature and he's, uh, he's a professor in that. So my writing isn't that style. It lost my soul. So we rewrote the whole thing mm-hmm. again. And once we did that, it, you know, it was another nine, 10 months, whatever it took. And uh, then there was a completed book. It still has some edits and, uh, you know, Jesse's company is uh, helping me with getting it just little tidbits here honed in so we can make it even better. The best book that we can possibly put out there. And this is the only book number one. There'll be others. Uh, we'll have a, uh, a everything is personal book coming out soon nice. too. Uh, why Ooh, not? Nice. Right. We'll have uh, all our stories that we're going to have on this pod. It'd be interesting for people uh, to read. And Jesse's right. Uh, you know, we have a mutual friend who I think is a, a really special person too. When he connected us, because I was looking for publishers, but I was going to self-publish because I don't know. It's like, you know, these advanced, uh, I, I don't know anything about the, the business, but there's a level of trust when you get a recommendation from somebody that you have a connection with. So that's kind of how the genesis, that's how it came up. It makes me think of two things. One, that's how I meet almost every author. It's through referrals, personal introductions. It's a very personal business. Speaking of everything is personal, publishing is personal too. But the other is, you know, you know, Jonathan asked, like, how would I take someone from an idea through? You kind of went through a process similar that I would facilitate mm-hmm. of like, if you're not a writer's writer, you don't enjoy the actual writing process, then speak it out or set up a content structure and just let someone rip and then guide that into text form. There's a lot of ways to create a book other than just writing it. But ultimately, once it's down on paper, then you can work with it as as we are now as a whole, you know, with an editorial team and, and then away we go into the publishing process. But so my goal is to be on Oprah and uh, have Oprah be like, uh, I recommend this book as part of uh, our book club. That, that's my goal. Well, you're doing some amazing stuff just through <laughs> EndoCana and EndoDNA and everything you're up to. So I don't know how much airtime that gets on the pod, but you gets, know, the book is so bit. connected to a really groundbreaking approach you have with expanding the reach and medicinal and benefits of cannabis. So I'm a huge advocate for that. But seriously, so, so Van, uh, Lan, I think I'd be for other people listening to this and Mm -hmm. I'm a professional writer, but I haven't even, I haven't even read a book, written a book, which is incredible. I've ghostwritten a lot of books for people. I'm always telling people, oh, you should have a book (laughs) as part of my ghostwriting business. But tell me why you wanted to have a book. And and this can sort of get into what Jesse was saying about why it's important for people to have books. What, how does it, what it was, why was it, I mean, yes, you want to be on Oprah. That's a great dream. But there is some, there's more practical reasons, right, too. Yeah. Well, the reason, the real reason why I wanted to write a book is because I wanted to record my stories. That was the main reason why I started writing it. And I'll, I'll tell you where the ideas stem from. So my grandmother, uh, who passed away, uh, she was a, a Holocaust survivor and she was a, a partisan, like a freedom fighter in Poland. She ended up getting late stage dementia, uh, which turned into Alzheimer's. So I would come over and she wouldn't remember what she bought like an hour ago, but she would sit down and tell stories what happened 30, 40, 50, whatever, many years ago. And I was like, oh my God, I have to start recording these stories. And I never did. And she passed away. Mm. And I was like, fuck, like I missed out. It was some incredible stories. So I went to uh, the, uh, the Museum of Tolerance in LA, the Holocaust Museum. And they have a library there, a USC library that you can go in and you can look at people Steven Spielberg, after Schindler's List, he did this whole foundation where you can record uh, people talking about their stories. So he transcribed them, recorded them. So I found a video of my grandmother speaking for three hours with somebody. So all these interviews, 
And I was like, holy shit. And I went and I got DVD versions of everything and I gave it to my whole family. And I was like, man, I don't want to ever be in this position because these stories are great. Obviously not, not as great as hers and not as uh, dramatic and all that stuff, but still I think I have stories. So that was the original idea of trying to write something with that. But then what happened was through the process, I started getting personal stories of people that we were helping. And I always feel when people can connect to a personal story that resonates much more than when you just talk in generalities. So I can talk about Sally. I can talk about uh, Mikey. I can talk about an actual experience. So somebody can relate to that. So in writing that book, that was the thread. It was my stories, but also how DNA and how personal experiences uh, with cannabis and overall health and wellness have affected individuals. So somebody can relate to this and, oh, that's me. I have the same kind of thing or, or my aunt has that. And that's the reason why, because I want everybody to sort of get rid of this whole stigma and understand that you're not alone. And every single time I have conversations with people, and I'll talk about this later on in our pod, one of the people I spoke with yesterday told me, you know what? It's really good to know that I'm not alone on an island. There's other people who share the same thing. Mm. And that's the reason why I wanted to kind of convey that. That's great. That's really beautifully said. I reflect on, I came at my book from the opposite vector of yours, and I've come to appreciate so much the value of story. I'll just share what I mean. When I really felt like I need to write, it was after I had just sold a business and I was like, if I don't write this down now, I'll start to forget the real practical, tangible steps that somebody else could do. And so it started from a how-to that was so clinical almost. Mm. And it wasn't until I met my first publisher when they're like, we got to know each other and like, you've got some great stories. Like, why don't you weave some of those in there too, instead of writing a how-to textbook for a specific kind of business. And so it went from very specific to, to looking at it from the incorporating the stories of myself and others that illustrate the point. And it it strikes me that you sort of started from the other end of the spectrum of so many stories and a desire that they live on and can Mm -hmm. impact others. And then at somewhere it blends with what you've done business-wise or that somebody could have a learning takeaway from the book and that it's not just an autobiography. Otherwise there's, you know, memoirs and autobiographies, Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's the whole thing. But I, and to answer your question, John, like I could never decide because it feels narcissistic to me to, oh, I'm going to write this memoir of my stories, right. like what happened in the club and the fight that we got into. Like, who gives a shit about all that? But people are interested in hearing those stories. But I'm like, well, this is just a part of it. If I can use this to get people's interest, but also use this as, as a takeaway to sort of uh, convey valuable information that was the difficulty of putting those two pieces together as uh, as Jesse was saying it's the same kind of thing you don't want it to be just all stories well you can but that's not what i wanted it didn't feel like authentic to me and i wanted it to be you know something that people can connect to yeah so that's that's, that's very cool i don't know how to oh, write i pulled one other thing out of what you're saying len that, yeah. that i think so valuable it's worth mentioning that like the stories about specific conditions just by yeah. telling that story somebody can raise their hand and be like, I thought I was all alone. I didn't know yeah. anybody else experienced yeah. this. And it's actually through those stories and there's any strategy through it. It's having a good story about each of the major things that somebody could relate to. Right. In your case, if that's a health condition or something like yeah. that, then a story on each one will reach the widest number of people because in reading the book, they'll point at that one and be like, wow, that one really lands with me. Yep, exactly. Um, I've, uh, yeah, I connect to Sally. That's exactly what I have. You know, that makes sense. So Jesse, you know, we talk about lots of different things on here, but there is a common thread about cannabis use. So we ask uh, several questions. Uh, so you're on a hot seat now to get your feedback on these and then uh, we'll, we'll let you, uh, okay, plug, sure. plug whatever you want to plug. And then, uh, so please describe your first experience with cannabis. If you remember. I do. I think I was 14. It was in Town Park. It was like a little park near where I grew up, a suburb north of San Francisco. I was with a few friends and we somebody had some weed. And so we like smoked it in a bush behind the candy stop, which was the place that you knew would sell you cigarettes, even if you were underage. I never smoked, but that was like this place to go smoke in the bush. So we smoked and like 
for a few moments, didn't really feel much, but then looking back on it, we wound up at my friend's house and I was like singing and like yelling and her mom came home and was like, what is going on? <laughs> and it was just this whole big thing where then we left her house and eventually like calmed down. But there is this big rush. There is this big euphoric semi-dissociative high, which was enjoyable. You like that? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Got a good, I mean, positive I would say the first time was a little just odd. Maybe a second or third was also a little odd. And then I started to tune into like what I really enjoyed and appreciate and right. continue to about cannabis. But you know, that was so, well, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I think you was it, was there a joint or was it a bowl? Yeah, it was definitely a joint probably rolled up in like a torn out back page of a Bible or something <laughs> extra sacrilegious like right. that. <laughs> and you're probably getting like, uh, you know, the weed is like Mexican or some, some other kind. Yeah. Of like wasn't great, but there was a, a, in hindsight, growing up in Northern California, even not great weed is better than oh, yeah, what someone sure. in Oklahoma may or have pretty been much. Yeah. 99% yeah, right? of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and as Philly it turns too. out, anybody. <laughs> right. Exactly. Cool. So you already kind of alluded to this, but I'll ask the question anyway. Is there a album or a song or go-to music that you like to listen to when you consume, or even though this is your sort of go-to kind of music? Well, I will say like throughout my teens, you know, it was a layer. It was definitely a part of my love of music without a doubt mm -hmm. was smoke some weed, play some guitar, listen to Jimi Hendrix. Sounds like a great afternoon, right? Yeah. So I've, I've always appreciated the heightened sensory when it comes to music and cannabis. And, you know, I used to have like a black light with, had some palm trees in my room and I'd listen to Baby I Love Your Way by Peter Frampton, oh, yeah. a record oh, player yeah. with like, with some palm trees. And I just sit under that palm tree. I was a little high or whatever, like 16, looking up through the palm trees, he's going, I can see the sunlight. You know, he's singing about being in the palm trees. And I was like, there's my little tropical getaway. Yeah, it's a great yeah. song. Very yeah. underrated guitar player, by the way, Peter Frampton. Oh, he was a phenomenal a guitar beast, player. man. He's amazing. With the talk box, nobody. Yeah, wah, 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 uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> and the Peter Frampton live, it's everything's better live. Like the Peter Frampton live album is better than I think the oh, stuff from the studio, for, right? Oh, this for was sure. this was Frampton comes alive. Yeah, Let for sure. No mistakes. <laughs> Let there be no mistake, right? <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> Wayne's World really nailed it. Where they're like, that album was basically hand delivered to every suburb of America. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. It's funny because I think there was a Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the uh, the movie, oh, and God. I was just watching. We can talk about this. Uh, I don't want to take up too much Jesse's time, but how people feel about because there, there is a. It's funny. I'm wearing a Beatles shirt today, but uh, it's funny that there's such a opposite parallel. What you feel about that movie? Like I personally love that movie. I know it's cheesy, and I Peter love the Bee Gees. But, you know, the Bee Gees, no, I know. Even, yeah, the Bee Gees were amazing. No, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's them right. and Peter Frampton and you have uh, George Burns. I mean, it's it's it's, God, it's, yeah. it's really I, weird. I love that movie. I didn't so, see that one. I thought it, I didn't see it either. And I thought it was interesting. They left it out of the Bee Gees documentary. Interesting. They did. Yeah. But I encourage everybody to go watch the movie Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It is cheesy, but the music is amazing. And the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton, they, they just do uh, an amazing That's job. Awesome. I will check that right. out. So uh, next question, what has cannabis meant in your life? It's like a companion. Like I think of cannabis as somebody that I have a relationship with that appears in different forms over time. Mm -hmm. It's something that I can retreat to and meditate and have a quiet moment of reflection and insight. And it's something that I that I've also used to like challenge myself and be like, okay, well, can I do this high? <laughs> Which may not have been like a healthy thing, but I've related cannabis to productivity and I've related it to enjoyment and relaxation. Yeah. And it's interesting that it works in its own way in both contexts, at least in my experience, um, very well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It depends on 
set setting and your your genotype, you know, and how you connect <clears throat> the genetics of the plant with your own DNA, your own mindset, what's going on in the moment. So that that definitely makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, this is a, a bonus fun question, if you can remember. You sort of kind of touched on it a little bit, so it won't be that challenging for you. But please describe what your room looked like growing up. Oh, wow. Wow. I did not know that was coming. <laughs> but it, you, your question definitely took me back there. You know, I had a few black lights. I had black light posters of like Hendrix and maybe Zeppelin or The Doors. Right. Um, I had a few like palm trons or palm trees. It was actually a converted garage. It, at mm -hmm. one point it was a garage, but it was now a full room. And I remember we divided it. We hung up like a curtain in the middle just to make it feel a little more like personal space. Mm -hmm. so that was this kind of big space that went into a, a bathroom and off into the kitchen, but it was in a corner of the house. So like when I was there, I felt like I had some privacy. It was nice, but it was covered with pictures. I'm, I can see high times, um, <laughs> upper, you know, center spreads probably pinned up on the wall. Yeah, the center fold of the butt like, of the month. Why do you have pictures of plants on your wall? Here's the Durban poison, the butt of the month. <laughs> I remember those. So it was a strange mix of cannabis-related imagery and music and rock and roll with some black lights and palm fronds thrown it all, in. It all goes together, man. Yeah, That's it was beautiful. a real hippie hideout. <laughs> Love awesome. it, man. That's beautiful. Jesse, first of all, I want to thank you so much for being on. Uh, where can people find uh, out about you, about Lifestyle Entrepreneur Press? or Lifestyle Entrepreneur's Press, but you also oh, mentioned I should another. read it on there. I didn't yeah. even see it in the background. <laughs> and where, where else can people no, find No, yeah, it? thanks so much for having me on. It's been a time flew by. Like I could, <laughs> these are conversations I don't have every day, as it turns out, which is really cool. Lifestyle Entrepreneur's Press, that's us. You're welcome to check us out there. If you're interested, um, just Google my name, Jesse Krieger. There's a lot to find. I've done a number of podcasts and other trainings where I really teach and talk about publishing and the whole aspect of book publishing, not just my own story. Awesome. Beautiful. Yeah, we could talk about that for hours. Well, we should have you on again and, and really dive deep on when John and I write our book right. uh, together. That would be a fun one. We could do a live brainstorming session, maybe save you guys. Right, let's do it, man. Nine months of agony. Yeah, episode. yeah. Oh, that's, all, that's it. Because it's all here. It's all stuck in my head. And it's, yeah, sometimes it's good to just get it out. I love that. That's what I, yeah, I enjoy those conversations most. All the best, Jesse Krieger. All See you guys. Best. Take care. Peace. Cool. That's your yeah. publisher. That made me feel so guilty because I realized I haven't read your book yet. And it's not personal. I just forgot to read it. And now I know. And I put it on my log. Like, read. My That's fine. Wait, book. Wait. Yeah, wait till we actually have. I, I will yeah, send like you a hard copy. Co yeah, like okay. a hard copy. We're done. We're just making some final edits. So it's a couple of things. I'm choosing covers for the book. Nice. And I also want to get some um, quotes. So I was uh, reaching out to people. It's such a weird thing, man. I don't even know how to ask endorsements. Somebody. Yeah, people, I don't know, you know how to ask are, somebody. Yeah, I've been. I had asked people on my website to kind of. Yeah, it's always a little awkward. Sometimes you end up kind of writing it for them. <laughs> and let I them would embellish. do that. No, yeah. I don't even know how to ask. Like, who do I ask, and who's going to be? Well, yeah, that's a great. That would have been a good question for Jesse. But I, you know, I think part of it is like. Well, who can best encapsulate kind of what, you know, what you think, you know, you're all about. And, but also I think can, whose endorsement can help you sell the book? Like, well, I, that's yeah. the thing. It's, it's a combination of both. So, uh, man, I hate the name drop, but let's say it's a famous, uh, rock musician. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Is that going to help me sell more books or are people going to look at this? Oh, you know, it's not for me because this person uh, made a quote. I've, I've no idea. I mean, I would that. maybe reach out to Andrew D'Angelo I would reach out to the people who you think would be interested in reading your book that might have the similar audience to the audience that you want to read your book, right? So that's a tricky one, but apparently those endorsements can help. I, I don't know why. It's never like, it's not like I've looked at the cover of a book and been like, oh, this person endorses it. I'm going to buy this book. Like, they I, help. Yeah. There's, but there's they do help. People do care. People yeah. care, but you know, so maybe I'll send it over to like uh, Martha Stewart or somebody like that and get her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Why not? Snoop. <laughs> Can I be on your show and help you cook? That would be awesome. That would be, I mean, you never know. Never know. You never know. I'll put it out there. What shirt are you wearing today? I Today I'm wearing Island Records. Do you remember Island, Island Records? Records? I mean, course, come on. Man. They are, they are, Love I just want to represent, I mean, it's Bob Marley, it's you 2 it's, I mean, yeah. it's, the history is unbelievable. And yeah, I just, amazing. I always like, whenever I wear this shirt, people always are like, oh, I love Island Records, you know? It's one of these yeah, stories. Amazing, that, yeah. Yeah, I want to, I think I'm going to start collecting uh, record label shirts because I'm down with, with the record labels. That's uh, a good idea, man. I, right? I used to have like nervous records. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that guy, that little like shaky, the yeah. nervous pizza. They have. Yeah. I had an Epic Records. I just like the word Epic. And I had they, they were, Epic records. I, I think got, I had a relativity shirt too somewhere. Oh, nice. They gave me, I think they gave me a relativity shirt. And there's like so that. many good hip hop label, you know, like these like profile records. A lot of the labels that never really went that far. They were, they were just right. like, just for hip hop. For me, they bring back memories because they were the labels on the 12 inches that I was spinning. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that oh, picture. Yeah. So yeah, I went, well, I what'd got, you go I, with? I got a weird Beatles t-shirt. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's, it's like them on the, here of looks like possibly Liverpool. Well, no, so I'm gonna. So this is the reunion concert on um, the rooftop. Okay. They, uh, so this is when they got did the roo- rooftop concert. There's an artist rendering of it. Oh, that's very cool. That's interesting that you wore your. I was just listening to the Beatles. Oh, why was I listening? Oh, I know. This is such a LA thing. Peloton, which I use my bike, just did a Beatles mix, yeah. and I just I just did All some right. Peloton rides to Beatles. But you know yeah, what? It's have, it turns out that it's really fun to exercise to the Beatles. Um, I have my uh, Beatles. I'm a huge Beatles. BBC. The Beatles are almost like not even a real. Like they're so good that it's almost like they're not even like a real band. Like it's like almost like this weird fluke. Like it, there's every there's the Beatles and there's everybody else. Like how oh, many yeah, hit sure. songs? can one group have like it was just beyond the beyond and i i'm almost spoiled by the beatles because i just grew up listening to the beatles and to me every song is like amazing and i don't even like listen that much to the beatles anymore because i listened to it so much earlier in my life but whenever it it comes on and there's certain songs especially that i have a a much more of appreciation for my son had to study a day in a life for his class this year and i thought that was cool he had to like really study the the song and like the different an amazing what an amazing amazing song. song Yeah. Yeah. My, my daughter, I'm so grateful because this is like Beatles are something you pass on from generation to yeah. generation. It doesn't matter what ethnicity, what uh, economic, right. like it is passed on to everyone. And uh, I got lucky. I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas to see the Beatles love. Uh, I haven't show. seen that show. No, is it great? Fantastic. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's my it. favorite, uh, like Cirque du Soleil show. Right. Uh, I'm sure the I would music, love it. The music is the music, so great. Fantastic. And then Paul McCartney has a new album out, which is interesting. And he's on TikTok, doing TikToks in his 70 plus. Paul's uh, the greatest. I want to be Paul McCartney, man. What a life. He just did it right. You know? Amazing human being. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Lots of kindness. So do you happen to know what our number one downloaded, most downloaded uh, episode is? I should know this considering. But what is it? And we'll try to dissect why it is. Yeah, it's the one that is why DNA, DNA and your personal experience with cannabis, something like that. I think it's episode three, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. But the interesting thing that I, I learned from that, because I was listening, I'm like, man, if you really start looking at it, people are really interested in the science. They're really interested in the DNA part of it. So I thought that we can take a moment and I can tell a story. I don't want to divulge anybody's personal private information, but there's a person who's very young in his very early 20s, who is associated with me in, in a certain way, thought something was off. They disappeared for a few days. Mm. Uh, there was some stuff that wasn't being completed. And uh, this person came back and said that they had a pretty serious situation. With, they ended up in the hospital. Mm. And I was like, oh, fuck, COVID, man. He goes, no, 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 I tested COVID negative. I'm like, okay, well, that's off the table. Right. What happened? And this person was uh, going through finals in, the, in university. There was a lot of stress, wasn't sleeping, and consumed some very high THC. I, I want to call it sativa dominant kind of hybrid and ended up having a panic attack. Hmm. But didn't know that it was a panic attack, had shortness of breath, uh, was fearful that it couldn't catch his breath, mm-hmm. heart rate up, like all those things. 
I wouldn't think it's a you know a heart attack, somebody being in the early 20s, but you never know. Ended up checking himself in the hospital and uh, going through. And he said there was a little bit of uh, lung stuff, but not nothing really just from like regular smoking. But this can happen at any age. And I just wanted to make sure that people understand when they're cultivating this, you know, these uh, cannabis at 30 plus percent THC, people who consume on a regular basis, even if they have that increased heart rate once in a while, that extra THC that they're getting, that can trigger something that's pretty adverse that was dormant in you. Mm -hmm. You may have had a genetic predisposition, but you didn't know about it. So even consume that at early age, that can trigger that. So just being aware, the conversation went through the genotype, right? And then the, the person was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not alone. I thought that I was alone and I was embarrassed about it. Yeah. Oh my God, you know, panic, I'm, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed. Right. Like, why? This is common. Many, many, many people, not everybody goes to the hospital with it, but many people don't report that they smoke weed and had a panic attack of some sort. So I'm like, I'm glad that you brought that up. And I'm glad that you're dealing with that. And let's go and figure out, first of all, what happened. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of things. Number one, sleep. We talk about set and setting and sleep is really important. And I'm like, my eye starts twitching every once in a while because I'm not getting enough sleep. Yeah. Uh, there are genes associated with that. And we talked about this on an episode before, but I just want to point that out that you create a perfect storm for yourself. So sleep. And there are certain genes that represent cognitive impairment more than others. If you have a genetic predisposition, you have the lack of sleep. When you combine that with insomnia, predispositions to insomnia, you can't sleep really well. And depending on whether you're sleeping, if you're actually getting your REM state of sleep, all that comes up. Now you have stress. My finals are coming up. I have to do well in my finals. I have another project that I have to finish. All these things are on my plate. How do I deal with that? Well, guess what? I deal with that the way I deal with that normally. I pack a bong and I do some bong rips and that's it. Yeah. Well, that's where you get yourself in trouble because that's the perfect storm. It's set and setting. So you have stress, right? right. All this anxiety and stress. Right. You have lack of sleep. You have a cultivar that's high or strain, whatever, that's high in THC. And you have a terpene profile that's misaligned with your genetic predisposition. So when you're consuming that and it's a perfect storm associated with all that, yeah, absolutely. It can happen. And, and, and we talked about it before, vasodilator, heart rate. Oh my God, I can't breathe that well. I must have COVID or something else. Mm -hmm. There's also a genotype uh, associated with CNR1 and CNR2 that makes you more predisposed to PTSD. But if you really break that down, it's that movie that plays in your head. Yeah. So you have the situation and then you, you're on repeat. And I know we talked about this before in different episodes, but I really want to point out to people that do not be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Speak about this. People really need to know you're not alone because right. you're, you're in your basement. You're stressed out. You consume cannabis to help alleviate stress. Like Jesse had a great experience. You had a different experience. I had a different experience. We have this all the time. But young kids... If you have this experience, communicate, talk about it, educate yourself. It doesn't mean that you can't consume cannabis. It means that maybe that type of cannabis is not right for you, or at the moment, consume something different, or maybe lower your THC, change your terpene profile, or maybe don't consume cannabis for a couple of days. It's okay. Right. Uh, and don't give up, right? Like, don't give up on cannabis just because you had one bad experience. Like, Don't give up. Don't yeah. give up on cannabis and use it as a sign. First of all, learn some other techniques. Learn meditation. Do you meditate? No. All right, so try that. Oh, what about some yoga? What about changing your physical state? Do some exercises. How about breathing techniques? There's a book called Breathe. That's really, really good. Yeah. Most of us don't know how to breathe correctly. I interviewed that guy uh, on my yeah, other podcast. Yeah, I know. Remember, yeah. we talked about that. Most people breathe out of our mouths. You're not you're supposed to breathe out of your nose. Like simple things like that. Or Wim Hof. You know, just uh, download the Wim Hof app. I'm not promoting uh, Wim Hof necessarily, but I am promoting Wim Hof because I use it. Do you? I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I use the app and uh, I don't do it enough where I try to jump into ice cold water. And, yeah. 
Pacific Ocean, but I try to use the breathing method, but I'm still freezing my ass off. Right. Like it's not working the way it's supposed to. I see him jumping into ice and it's fine. I see all these people, but I don't do well with cold. So I'm trying, but do not give up. Use different things and understand yourself, educate yourself about yourself. If you're going through a stressful event, all these other things are happening in your body. You're not sleeping, all that stuff. So let's work in little chunks. Get better sleep. Put better food in your body. Consume different cannabis. Get your mindset right. All these things, it's because that could lead to a perfect storm. And that's kind of what happens. So I just want to point that out. This is something that's really important. And sleep is a big part of it. It's sort of an interesting segue. I was going to say, are you going to seg? You are. You're good. Because, because, uh, learning, yeah, you're good at sagging. All right, here we go. Sleep, yeah, we're gonna so talk sleep, about sleep today. We're gonna talk about sleep because I learned well, something that I'm trying to do in my business because it's so complicated to get somebody to say, This is my genotype, this is my genotype. So, we, so my, my partner Eric and I, we talked about archetypes. I used to be when I was a when I was doing training and coaching and all that stuff, I would administer all these different tests, the Myers Briggs and the the uh, disc profile and AVA and all these other profiles because it's personality profiles. I'm always interested in finding out more about myself Mm -hmm. and about other people because you can kind of put people into an archetype. And I think people connect to archetypes. When you say, oh, even on dating sites now, they have, I'm an ENTJ. I'm an ENTJ. Great. Mm -hmm. I don't want to date myself. So I'm not interested in any kind of thing. But so we try to kind of create this thing in our company where a person that has this genetic profile is similar to this person. They've consumed the same type of uh, profile and it works for them. So I can say, I am a hawk. Oh, I'm a hawk too. So whatever that is. So we're trying to put that together. Anyway, in my research to find out different archetypes, I came across something called chronotypes. Mm -hmm. So chronotypes are associated with sleep. And like, I want to have this conversation about sleep because Everybody brings, oh, you know, I get up at six o'clock in the morning and I'm good to go and I'm fresh and, you know, I get running and I get going. Oh, my God, it's it's two o'clock in the afternoon. That's it. I'm done. I'm I'm fading. I can't late at night. Forget about it. Right. I'm like, no matter what, I can get eight hours sleep, nine hours sleep. I wake up in the morning. I'm not a morning person. Every single time that I have to speak, I'm always telling people. You're getting 75% of me at best because I'm best in the afternoon mm-hmm. and I get going and I can, I can still function at night. So this chronotype test allows you to go through like a, a quiz to find out which chronotype you are. And there's four chronotypes, which is the bear, the wolf, the lion, and the dolphin. So I'm going to do a drum roll. Uh, do you have a Mr. Fred Nars, John? <laughs> Thank you. I don't. I should get a drum roll. I'm gonna get a drum roll sample right now. I just that, have this one. No, that works. Okay, here we I go. Love that one. So, what is your chronotype? I am a bear. <laughs> you are a bear. I okay. am a bear. What are you? Okay, should we talk about me first? Well, let me let me read my. Uh, and we know this little... because we took a quiz online. We took um, a quiz online. Yeah, anybody, there's a bunch of different ones. Chronotypes, a bunch of different free quizzes. So you guys are welcome to take yours. And I'm post where you are, and then we'll go over it. So th- this is what it says, and this is the short version of it. So the bear chronotype. Most people fall under the category of a bear chronotype. This means their sleep and wake cycles go according to the sun. It says a bear chronotypes wake easily and typically fall asleep with no problem. Hmm. Productivity seems best before noon, and they're prone to the post-lunch dip between two and four. Uh, that is true. That part's true. I'm not sure about always having trouble, easy time falling asleep, but yeah, uh, two to four is tough for me. This is actually this hour right now, tough for me. You're, you're fading. <laughs> I'm fading right now. I, I, I just I just fell asleep, but then I woke up. No, um, this is tough, though. Two to four is when I'm, I get tired, especially around four, I guess, start crashing a bit. Yeah. But anyway, so that's me. I'm a bear. I'm it's I'm like, but accurate. I'm so typical. I'm like, the other thing it said about the bears, you're always snacking all the time. You're always looking for things yeah. to snack on. It doesn't matter. Whatever's out, you just grab it and eat it. That's that definitely me. Yeah. yeah. What well, are you? So, I'm curious. I have a feeling you're not a bear. I'm not a bear. You know, I, had a, I knew it. I am a wolf. 
Oh, a so, night creature? What does that mean? Yeah, so this chronotype often has trouble waking up in the morning. Uh-huh. In fact, it says the wolf chronotypes feel more energetic when they wake up at noon, which I don't. I uh-huh. wake up, even when I try to like sleep in, I wake up the latest, like 8.30, maybe 9. But, you know, when I was a- When, I was a, when you wake up, are you hungry like the wolf? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> Uh, only when I'm in Rio. Okay, right, right. Okay, okay. You and watching you girls on Duran, film. Duran? Yeah, and watching some girls <laughs> on film. Okay. <laughs> All right. So it says uh, it's a wolf. Uh, chronotype feels more energetic when they wake up at noon, especially since their peak productivity starts at noon and ends around uh, four hours later. Wolf types also get another boost around six p.m. and find that they can get a lot done while everyone else is done for the day. Well, that, so can you be a, a hybrid wolf bear? Because I'm a wolf bear. Because I feel like I have that. Like I love, after everybody's done with dinner, I like to sit in front of my computer and that's when I get a lot of really good work done. I don't yeah. know why. I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you're I'm a wolf a bear. Lion. A lion? A you're, you're a new I one. I could be a hybrid. So you're kind of more of a night wolf. I was going to say a night owl, but you're a night wolf. You've told me that you don't like to really work like in the morning like we've said let's do the podcast at 10 and you're like ah 10 is not a good hour for me i mean i will do whatever i have to do whenever but i right. just know but you, myself. you know yourself i can feel it in my body so yeah. even though i'm working out even my voice doesn't feel right until like afternoon when do you so, like to work out what hour i try to work out in in the morning like i get up and i get some coffee, walk the dog get some coffee and i come back and i try to work out right then and there unless i have meetings so if i have meetings like uh, starting at 8 30 or, or 9 then as soon as i'm done i try to give myself a space mm-hmm. i i need to work out before lunchtime yeah so it's that space between me getting up and lunch is when i try to work out because i don't eat in the morning i just I have coffee either. and maybe maybe i have some fruit depends because when i take my supplements some of them make me nauseous and empty stomach so i have some berries or something like that kind of hold me over i always fast in the morning I mean, I have coffee and I have water, but I, I, I don't eat until about noon or one. Yeah. Like a bear. Well, like a bear. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if bears do that. Do you want to go first? I went through about 20 different things to play you. And then I, yeah. I was like, you know what? We're talking about Island Records today. And there is a song that I heard by a band called Negative Land that was out for 10 days. So I was like, I bet Len hasn't heard this because it was out for 10 days. Although, Len, you have a pretty good comprehensive. Um, I try to listen to music, yes. Yeah, you listen to a lot of music. So you could be the kind of guy that- A musical palette. Yes. (laughs) And and even a 10-day palette could be used. So I'm going to share this. Are you doing yours first? I'm going to go first. I never go first. Do I go first a lot? I'll go first. It It has a great audio beginning, one of the great samples, and you have to kind of listen to it all the way through, but you're going to enjoy this sample. You're really going to enjoy it. Can't wait to play it for you. Okay, here we go. Now, we're up to our long-distance dedication, and this one is about kids and pets and a situation that we can all understand, whether we have kids or pets or neither. (laughs) It's from a man in Cincinnati, Ohio, and here's what he writes. Dear Casey, this may seem to be a strange dedication request, but I'm quite sincere, and it'll mean a lot if you play it. Recently, there was a death in our family. He was a little dog named Snuggles, but he was most certainly a part of... Let's come start again. From coming out of the record. Play the record, okay? Please. That's the letter U and the numeral 2. The four-man band features Adam Clayton on bass, Larry Mullen on drums, Dave Evans, nicknamed The Edge, on... This is bullshit. Nobody cares. These guys are from England, and who gives a shit? Oh, yeah. It's just a lot of wasted names that don't mean diddly shit. I, for sure, for sure, you don't know where it is. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. Diddly shit. Diddly shit. Nobody cares. Snuggles. 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 
he was a little dog. All right. So you can you can you can probably understand why that. So there was apparently I'm I'm thinking about doing a whole podcast about this. There was a whole book written about just the legal woes they had trying to release that record between the Casey Kasem estate and you two uh, did not enjoy that record at all. It was out for 10 days and became sort of a cult classic. And then they were able to bring it back, I think like 10 years later, but that is called negative land. You two. I love it, man. It's fun. Right. So, And I remember listening to Howard Stern, he would play some of those Casey raps. Oh, they were the best. So, yeah. It's, it's great. I mean, when Casey, yeah, when Casey loses it, the, the coolest man ever <laughs> is just like, and I love that he's like, nobody gives a shit about this band. <laughs> band from two. England. Yeah, this band from England. <laughs> right. It's like, the best. Do your homework, Casey. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Well, they, you know, in fairness to Casey, I think he that was like in 1984. So I don't know. So, yeah. So yeah. they weren't, U2 wasn't quite there. Maybe they were from England yeah. at that time. <laughs> they were from England. All right. All right. So what do you got? I'm excited. Here we go. Mine. Know who that is, aren't you? You will not be able to lose yourself on the skag and skip out for beer during commercials. Revolution, Bill Scott Harris. This right here for the number one. Number one, see what you number one. You ain't number one, just another one. Now, everybody saying that the number one. Ring the alarm, the caterpillar keeps firing. Oh, we in the war, where butterflies keep dying. Ah. I'm a product of Parker, Lewis, and Kubiak. If I didn't do this, where in the fuck would you be at? See, there's a difference between us. When I spit hit arenas, you would drip from my penis. I eat lions and sip hyenas. You number one when it come to slaughtered mics. I'm trying to be number one in my son and daughter life. Uh, all you niggas, my little rapper babies. Y'all my children, y'all bit my shit and contracted rabies. Don't you grade me next to these rappers, baby, that's degrading. My style got so many different facets. I switch into so many different passions. I'm skipping class to be fascinating. My pen is like big pen and shit, just a classic waiting. Your favorite rapper come at me, I'll just decapitating. I'll hit congratulating these hazmats who had their oh, highs. That was dope, so man. I really like that. I got to play that one well, for my son. He's so, going to love that. Royce to 5'9". Well, yeah, Royce to 5'9". So I didn't get to uh, oh, sorry. M&M part, but Eminem is in there too. Should we play but the Eminem part? I wanted to ask you, uh, it's all right. I want to ask you, do you recognize the sample? Uh, well, so well, I know the first beginning was Gil Scott Heron, the revolution. Will yeah, not be yeah, terrible. that's Gil Scott Heron, the revolution will not be televised. You're absolutely correct. Let me see if I can play you that sample because the reason why I played the song is specifically because first of all, I really like the song. I like oh, Voice really Five good. Nine and uh, and M, but there is a certain part of the sample. That I think you know this super song. familiar you know, sample too. Yeah, let me play this for you, and I'll play the original. Oh, you snicking? Oh yeah. Well, that is, that is dope. Of course, it's not their sample. You got no, I'm gonna pay you the sample. What? I'm gonna play the original. Yeah, the original. Well, believe me, I know. I can tell you the story of this guy. This is Fushnikin's. Don't take it too personal. This is called "Ring the Alarm." Ring the alarm, tenor saw. This is the. Yep. This is one of my favorite reggae songs of all time. I love it. I mean, that's tenor saw. Oh, what happened? It's still playing. It's still playing. That's all right. Ring the alarm. I mean, tenor saw is one of the greats. I Can I just, if our listeners haven't heard Pumpkin Belly, it's very important that they hear it right now. Tenor saw died too young. Some probably should have been in our list of people who, who died too young. Pumpkin Belly. Pumpkin Belly. This is a song of old time proverbs. Take it out with Pumpkin Belly, man. This is 
Tenor saw represent. We should have had him on too soon. But I love it. I love that you had Ring the Alarm on there. That was awesome. I'm going to pull this off. Wow. That was great. I, yeah, I agree. I think your uh, song beat mine this because you, you, <laughs> you could listen everything. to that song. You had that Gil song Scott is Heron, great. Exactly. One of the great records. Then you had a little bit of Ring the Alarm. And I don't, he was sampling something else in there too, which I'm not exactly he was, sure what it was. Yeah, he was sampling and, uh, Ring the Alarm. He was sampling Gil Scott. Oh, sorry. And there was another off. sample on that. All right. Well, so, good episode, man. Sorry, I'm this bear. Any, this bear's got to go hibernate. Mr. May, thank you for everything. Thank you, Mr. Small. And I appreciate it. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.